mighty name. Think about how He came from heaven, brought salvation to us. Our sin was great, but the love of Jesus was greater. How committed are you to Jesus this morning? How committed are you to the one who showed this great commitment, who as Jessica sang about, shed his precious blood for us? How committed are you to the name and person of Jesus Christ? Commitment is important. We need to be committed to things in life. There are things that call for our commitment and demand our commitment. I was no fan and am no fan of the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, We rooted for the Celtics in my house when I was a boy growing up, and that's who we liked, so we weren't Laker fans. Uh, But if you know anything about basketball in the 80s, when I was a boy, the Lakers won a lot of championships. And uh, their coach, Pat Riley, coached them to a number of championships, and Pat Riley coached a lot of great players, famous names like Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy. He made a statement one time about the commitment of the great ones. Those who uh, could take nothing less than winning. Those who would have nothing less than giving it their all. And he talked about what it took to win a championship in sports. And in talking about it, Pat Riley once said, when it comes to commitment, When it comes to commitment, you're either all in or all out. You're either totally committed or you're not committed at all. And Pat Riley said, when it comes to commitment, you're either all in or all out. There is no in between. He said, if you want to win, if that's what you're committed to, it's all in or you're all out. And do not fool yourself, there is no no in between. If you are glad that Jesus was completely committed to seeing you saved, say amen. He was all in. But because Jesus was all in for you, he has some pretty strong statements to say about how committed you need to be to him and his kingdom and his calling on your life. And in fact, when Jesus talks about this, He says some pretty shocking things about that commitment. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 today. To Matthew chapter 5. And uh, actually we're going to read a different verse than's up there this morning. All right. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5 and I want you to go to verse 17. All right. Go to Matthew chapter 5 and go to verse 17. And I want you to listen closely. It's Jesus who we've sang about and enthusiastically sang about. And as we've praised him this morning for what he has done, I want you to listen to what Jesus has to say about the level of commitment that he calls for believers like you and I to have. The level of commitment that Jesus says, this is where you've got to be if you're going to follow me and enter into my kingdom of heaven. So listen to what Jesus says, all right? This morning in our passage. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. These shocking statements of Jesus that we've been looking at in this sermon series. As you'll notice, most of them are coming from this great sermon. The Sermon on the Mount that he gave. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law 
or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And we saw that last week if you were here. We saw Jesus said, hey, I know that the Pharisees and the scribes and other people are looking at me and my disciples and they're saying they're going to do away with the law. They're not going to be obedient to the law. They're not going to follow what God gave Moses. Jesus is not doing it right. And Jesus said, we saw last week, he said no. What Jesus said, if you remember last week we used the illustration of seeds. Jesus said the law is a seed and I'm now showing you how it's actually supposed to look like. And what God's intention was with the perfect law that he gave. And so Jesus, he's saying here, he's saying, I'm not against the law. I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill. Verse 18, so verily, for verily, or truly, this is true. He says, this is a true statement. I want you to mark this down. He says, truly, I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise, in no way, as long as there's a heaven and the earth, one jot, one tittle will in no way pass away from the law till it all be fulfilled. He says everything about the law, including the T's that you have to cross and the apostrophes that you have to have in there, he says every bit of it will be fulfilled. He says I've come to fulfill that, not to destroy it. So, since the law of God the commands of God are there, and they've got to be fulfilled. Listen to what Jesus, and he's going to fulfill them, but listen to what he says about us. Whosoever, therefore, or whichever one of you, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so. Anyone who breaks a commandment or leads someone else down a path that will lead them to break a commandment, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever shall do them, whoever will do the law and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, and here's the kicker, I say unto you that except your righteousness, except the righteousness of Austin, the righteousness of Daniel, the righteousness of Danielle, the, the righteousness of Chris Clinton, the righteousness of Miss Ruth, uh, the, the righteousness of Miss Connie, the righteousness of Brother Cecil, the righteousness of Brother William, unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case, no exceptions, in no case shall you enter in to the kingdom of heaven. If you want to go to heaven today and, and be a part of that kingdom forever, say amen. Then I would suggest we listen closely to what Jesus says. Well, this morning, who do you look up to? Who do you look up to? Is there a school teacher from your past that you look up, look up to? Is there a coach who instructed you that you look up to? Do you look up to your parents or your grandparents or maybe a favorite uncle or aunt? Do you have a Sunday school teacher or a, or a former pastor that you look up to? Do you take your cues from your friends? Do you take your cues for life from the music that you listen to, the movies that you watch, the things that you read on the internet? Who do you look to today? In Jesus' day, when people talked about righteousness, when they talked about obeying the law of God, they looked to the Pharisees. And they looked 
to the scribes. Uh, The Pharisees literally, that phrase Pharisees, it referred to the idea of the separate ones. The Pharisees were those among the Jews that, that in theory were completely dedicated to being separated out from sin. They were separated under the law and away from sin. They were separated out. Uh, The scribes, they were the scholars that would read the scriptures and they would argue and debate and discuss the word of God endlessly. They would talk, 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 talk about the word of God and talk some more and talk about what it means and what it didn't mean and how how to apply it and what to do with it and what not to do with it. And they would talk, 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 talk. So the Pharisees were those who were seen as they were, they were separated in life and they were seen as separated away from sin and unto God. And the scribes were those that could talk, 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 and debate and discuss the word of God endlessly. In the days of Jesus, if you wanted to see what does it mean to know God and love God and follow God, that's who people look to. They look to the Pharisees and the scribes. There's just one huge problem, though. One huge problem that could sum up everything else about the Pharisees and the scribes. Pharisees and scribes had many problems, but you could sum most of those problems up this way. What the Pharisees had done and what the scribes had done is they had turned the blessing of God's law, the blessing of walking along the path of God, the, 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 the word of God, the law of God has talked about that sometimes in Scripture as it is the straight way. It is, it is the path to walk upon. And they had taken the blessing of knowing the way to walk. They'd taken the blessing of this the path to walk on and they had taken the blessing and they had removed the blessing and they had turned the word of God into a massive burden. How did they do this? We saw last week in Jesus' confrontation they turned the law into a burden by adding to it or qualifying it in ways where they didn't have to do things that they did not want to to do. And this angered Jesus, and why did it anger him so much? If you read the New Testament, the one group that he's mad at the most, that he names over and over again, are the Pharisees and scribes. Why was Jesus so angry with them? He's angry with them because they have turned the blessing of the law into a burden, and by turning the law into a burden, they were putting in people's minds the thoughts and beliefs that the God who gave the law was interested in burdening people not blessing them with the way to walk into truth and light. If you are glad today that Jesus has made clear, because he says, and he's the son of God, he is God, he has said, I will take your burden, give your burden to me because my yoke is light. If you are glad that Jesus is in the business of removing burdens and giving blessings, say amen. And he does. I don't mean that in a prosperity preacher kind of way because the blessings he gives are not always material according to this world, fleshly things. With Paul, he blessed Paul somehow by actually keeping a burden in Paul's life to keep Paul where he needed to be. And so when I say blessings, understand those blessings don't automatically look like the things we might say. But in God's goodness, we know that everything he does for us is a blessing. And so the Pharisees said, I mean, imagine they had taken the law 
that meant to show the blessing of God and that Israel could walk the right way and they wouldn't have to fall in the wickedness of the nations around them and they had turned that into a burden. And Jesus could not stand this because Jesus, as the second member of the Trinity, he had been in relationship with God the Father for all, for, forever. There'd never been a time that he hadn't been in relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus knew. In whatever way he knew, they are showing something about my Father that is wrong. And it is not true, and they are making him look like a burden giver instead of one who gives a blessing to help people walk in the right way. Now friends, did you know today that there are those who would make a burden out of following Jesus? The Pharisees and the scribes are all around us. I told my wife, I I did something the other day, and uh, by the way, I'm not turning this into a law because I don't want to be a Pharisee or scribe, so I'm just just telling you what what I did. And I told the the college students, some of them this, this weekend, I went into my cell phone because I found my cell phone like I was just constantly looking at it. And I would read my paper and people would send me messages and just always gotten on my phone where I was just on it all the time. And so I just kind of, some things happened and I just kind of realized, man, this, this phone is like, it's starting to run my life. And so I went in and I had this little thing on my phone where it, it can turn the mobile data off. And what that means is this, when I turn the mobile data off, that means when I'm in my car, I can't access all this stuff on my phone. I can get a phone call or text message. That's about it. And that means really for me, unless I'm at church or I'm at home, that means I can't get on Facebook, I can't get on Twitter, and I can't do all this stuff. So that limits down the amount of time that I'm on my phone. There are a lot of reasons I did that. One reason I did that is because at least the Twitter and Facebook stuff that I'm a part of, which is mostly Christians and people that I grew up with or met in town that are non-Christians, but I would say probably 60 to 70% of the people that I know on those social media are Christians. One reason I turned it off is because everybody on Facebook and everybody on Twitter, and not literally everybody, but lots of people who are very vocal, who put stuff all the time, they have a lot of opinions about what Christians should do, and they are very free in sharing that. And I begin to discover that people are really good at telling you, if you don't do this, you're not a real Christian. If you don't share this, you don't really love Jesus. If you don't get behind this cause, you must not really be serious about him. And so I did a little thing the other day. I took some of these things that I get and I, and I looked at God's word. I really did this. And I said, how many of these things are actually what the Bible says a preacher is supposed to do? Because that's my calling. Because there are all kinds of people saying, if you're a pastor, that if you're not behind this social cause, you're not, you don't really love the Lord, and you're being a bad pastor. And if you don't, I've got people that tell me that if I don't tell all of you to send your kids to Christian schools, I'm not a real pastor. I have other people that tell me that if I don't tell all of you to send your kids to public school, I'm not a real pastor. i got people on both sides that tell me that. That's just one example of everybody saying, if preacher, if you don't do this, 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 then you don't really love your flock. And so I took some of these things that I continually see in my feed, and I went and I looked, and I thought, how many of these things are actually what the Bible says a pastor is called to do or not to do? Now, do not misunderstand me. A pastor is called to help people and to give advice and to say, this may be a good path or this may be a wrong path. But it's unbelievable to me how many Pharisees and scribes are out there on social media that have all these extra rules and regulations, and many times, at least in my feed, 
they're contradictory one another that say, if you don't really do this, you're not really a real Christian or you're not really a real pastor and you don't really love the Lord. If you're glad today that Jesus kept it pretty simple and he said, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, with all your spirit, and he has said, I have come to save you and these other people are going to put all this on you. That's not what it's about. It's what I have done to save you. If you're glad Jesus keeps it a little simpler than the people in our lives, say amen. The Pharisees and the scribes are all around us. They're all around us. And they're going to say to you, I am excited about this, and I care about this. And if you don't do that, you're not a real Christian. You know what a real Christian is? It is one who has been washed in the blood of Jesus. It is nothing I have done, but it is everything he has done. Everything. And so these people in your life that say to you, hey, let me add a little bit extra. Let me tell you a little more. Let me show you a little bit. You better watch out. Because the Pharisees and the scribes have not gone away. And so just for me, and this is not the only reason, but for me, I just started feeling the negativity of this. And I started feeling the negativity of everybody saying, hey, I mean, some people literally come out and say that. They literally, on my feed, say, if you don't do this, you're not a real Christian. You're not a real pastor. You're not a real... I go back and I look and say, okay, the New Testament tells me what a pastor is. Is it there or not? My friends, Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. But the Bible also says that if you add or... Remember, remember at the end of the Bible? If you add or subtract from what is actually there. If you begin to take your opinion and equate that with the law and with other Christians, equate that as if this is the path instead of just what he has said the path. And by the way, it does say add or subtract. Then you are in big, big trouble. Now, if you believe that's truth, say amen. Better because it's in the Word. So see, the Pharisees and scribes just weren't for that day. The Pharisees and scribes just weren't for that moment. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I do not want you to misunderstand me. I do believe we should help one another in righteousness. I do believe that we should help one another in holiness. I do believe that we should, we should help people make decisions that will honor God and do that and help Him and be a blessing unto Him. But I also think you better be really, really careful when there are things that are not clearly in Scripture that you begin to tell people, if you don't do this, you're not really a good Christian because that's what the Pharisees and the scribes did. That's what they did to people. They laid this burden upon them and they tried to guilt them into, you're not doing it our way, so you don't really love the Lord. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not against the law. I'm not against it. And so this is what makes it so shocking is because he's made it clear that he does not like what the Pharisees and scribes are doing. But then Jesus shocks his audience by saying, but if your righteousness is not greater than theirs, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So imagine you're a listener of Jesus and Jesus is harder than I just was in that little monologue right there about our Pharisees and scribes. Read the New Testament. Read just... Take a day and read all four Gospels and you will see just how hard Jesus is on the Pharisees and scribes who he does not let up. Jesus is after them all the time. So imagine you're then in a crowd when Jesus has been way harsher than I just was and then Jesus says to people though, he then flips the script a little bit and he says, but I want you to know something. 
the Pharisees and the scribes that I have been after so hard, I want you to know that if your righteousness is not greater than theirs, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So imagine you're sitting there, it's like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're really confusing me now. Because you've been after them this whole time. And now you're saying if my righteousness is not better than theirs, I won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you can imagine the people listening to this sermon kind of scratching their head going, what is Jesus talking about? And I want you to know that what Jesus was doing is laying the groundwork for ways in which he would reveal to them what this righteousness is. See, here's the truth about Pharisees and scribes. Uh, Let me actually bring it home to me. And you bring it home to you. I do not perfectly keep the law of God. I do not. I do not. There are times that in my spirit, there are times I have righteous anger, and then there are times, honestly, I just get upset about things because they irritate me, and they make me angry in a way that is not good or is not right. That's a violation of the law of God. There are times, there are times when I know I need to devote myself to this thing that God wants me to do, and I do it halfway. I do just enough to make myself feel a little better, to say, okay, I I did a little bit there. And yet I'm not all in the same way Jesus was all in for me. That's a violation of God's law because we're to put all our mind, all our heart, all our soul into loving God. And a part of that is being obedient to Him. And there are times that I don't do that. I don't put all my heart, all my mind, all my soul into it. I just do enough to make me feel a little better that I can check it off and say, hey, I've done my part. The truth is, I don't always keep the law of God. This is why the Pharisees and scribes are so bad, because you can't even keep the law of God. And Pharisees and scribes could not keep the law of God. And imagine how insulting that is to God when you won't even do and cannot do what He has told you to do, and now you're coming up with your own list on top of that to do, and you haven't even done what God said to do. It's as if your parents left you a task to do at home, and you could not complete it. And your parents came home, and they said, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And you said to them, well, I know I didn't do that, but I did do these four things over here that I came up with to do. Are your parents going to be happy with you if you have not done the tasks that you were supposed to do? Because you were busy doing the things you came up with to do? No. And so Jesus is not happy when he sees the Pharisees and scribes have come up with this other stuff to do. And they're not doing the specific things that God said to do. And in the midst of that, though, then he then shocks the crowd by saying, but I want you to know if your righteousness is not like theirs, better than theirs, you can't get to heaven. What does Jesus mean? I want you to listen very carefully. Because when you understand as a believer, as the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and I really believe he'll do this to you today, as the word of God and the Holy Spirit reveals to you what Jesus meant when he said your righteousness must exceed theirs, when you understand what that means, I don't think you can help but fall to your knees or shout out a praise or let a look of joy, of rapturous joy, overtake your face. Because when Jesus says your, rapture, your righteousness has to be better than theirs, at first that looks like Jesus is now putting an even bigger weight than the Pharisees and the, and the scribes put on, but he's not. When Jesus says your righteousness must be better than theirs, he's really setting you up for the greatest freedom in Christ that you could possibly imagine. Why did Jesus say this? Why? 
Well, first of all, the righteousness that it requires to enter into heaven is perfect righteousness. Heaven cannot have sin. Heaven, heaven, can't, heaven is the kingdom of God and he is the king over it and everything in it belongs to King God and God cannot have anything in his kingdom that is not part and parcel of who he is. In heaven there will be no rebellious spirits, there will be no sinful attitudes, there can be nothing in the kingdom of heaven that is not of God. So the truth is, that none of us, no matter, matter the effort and the energy that we put into it, none of us can enter into heaven on our own because none of us are going to be perfect. None of us are going to be able to stand before God and say, there was never anything about me from the moment of my birth to my death. There was never anything in me that was rebellious or against you or not a part of who you are. None of us can say that. The Pharisees could not say that. And so the Pharisees had done two things. They had reduced the law to merely rules, and they had expanded the law by adding new burdens. But what you need, and what makes Jessica's song so exciting, is what you need is not to make the law smaller so you can just do your part. And what you need is not for somebody else to lay more burdens on you and tell you that if you can do this, you'll really be, really be right. You don't need either one. We don't need to, we don't need to shrink the law of God. And we also don't need to expand it with new burdens. What we need actually is something totally independent and outside of us because we are sinful. We need something alien to us to enter in and change who we are because whether you're a Pharisee or a scribe, all of us have sin and the righteousness must exceed even theirs and we can't come up with that. So who is going to do this? The great story of the Bible is the righteousness that you need. It has not been supplied by you or anyone else. It has been supplied from Jesus by Jesus who came from kingdom, from the kingdom of heaven. That's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. One who came from a kingdom that is alien to us because we are in sin. He came from heaven and he entered in. And the great story that Jesus is the story of Jesus through the shedding of his blood and his death on the cross for you. He has taken his righteousness. His righteousness. And he has made this alien righteousness when you accept him. Now a part of who you are. He applies that blood to your life. And he applies his love to your heart. And he applies his holiness to your very being. And this thing that was alien to us, this righteousness of God. The great story of the Bible is that Jesus has come and he has brought it. And he has put it within us so that we can have a righteousness that exceeds anything that the Pharisees and the scribes ever did. If you are glad for the alien righteousness of Jesus, say amen. Now think about in society, there are illegal aliens and there are legal aliens. But what's one thing they have in common, right? They come from somewhere else, right? I mean, we know, we were pretty sure my mom's family, part of them, they were starving Irish. Starving. And they fled Ireland, the great potato famine. Probably uneducated, probably ignorant, probably didn't have any skills whatsoever, maybe had a few things, but they weren't the high and mighty because the high and mighty don't have to flee their country. They get to stay. We know they, we're pretty sure they probably fled potato famine. We, we, they, we think they wound up in New Orleans. And one of the first things one of them did was stole a horse and headed for South Carolina. I don't have much to brag on. If you don't have anything to brag on either, say amen. That's kind of what we've sort of pieced together. They're from somewhere else. They were from Ireland. 
I don't know that my dad's family was that shady. We might have been a little better on his side. They're from somewhere else. And what's the story of America? People from somewhere else came. And every time people from somewhere else come, what America is changes just a little bit. It's not, it's not what it was when just the Native Americans were here. And it's not just what it was when the British were here. And it's not just what it was when slaves started being brought over. We've all come here, and it has changed who we are. That's what's happened. So see, we of all people, Americans, we kind of ought to get this. About this alien thing coming in and changing who we are. Because that's basically our story. And that's a pretty cool story. But my friends, it's not the greatest story. The greatest story is when the alien righteousness of Jesus is then applied to your heart through his blood that is shed for you on a cross. And so when you're in that crowd, when you're in that crowd and you say, Jesus, what are you talking about now? You've been dogging the Pharisees and scribes right and left. You guys have been getting into it over and over and over and over again. And we know the end of the story. They're going to play a big role in making sure Jesus gets killed and executed. When you say that our righteousness has to be better than theirs, Jesus, what are you talking about? And what Jesus is talking about is setting it up so that those who have ears of faith will listen and know that there is no righteousness within you that will make it right. It is the alien righteousness of Jesus. It's His. And just as our country was changed a little bit when my Irish relatives fled over here starving, that changed things. Changed it a little bit. We're changed every time new people come to this country. Can I tell you a difference between Jesus and that story? When Jesus comes in and changes you, He doesn't change you just a little bit. He changes you completely. He changes everything about you. Let me rephrase the burden of the law this way. Without Jesus, it's not just the law that is a burden. Without Jesus, if you live long enough, your whole life will become a burden without Jesus. Because God demands 100% commitment, not just to the law, but He demands 100% commitment from you. And you're either in or you're out. And this morning, if it was dependent upon your righteousness, believe me, you would be out. Without Jesus, you are on the outside. But with Jesus, He changes you at the moment of salvation. And He has given you that Holy Spirit that empowers you to continue to walk in holiness and walk in the light of God. And some of you today need to quit playing games. You need to quit acting like you haven't been changed. You need to quit fighting so hard the Holy Spirit that is within you that should direct you and guide you. And today you need to submit again to this alien love of God in your life, this alien holiness that He has put there to change you. Without Him, you are 100% on the outs of the kingdom of heaven. But with Him and what He has done, you are not just a little bit changed. You are 100% a new creation a new creature that has been created with the freedom to love and know God and for your life to be an example of what it means to fulfill the laws of holiness and love and justice and mercy that Jesus has applied perfectly to you. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us because of Jesus, 
Because of Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because God sent Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who God has made unto us wisdom. What is Jesus to us? We have no wisdom without Him. He has become wisdom to us and righteousness. And He has become sanctification. And He has become redemption. What does it mean that Jesus is my wisdom and my righteousness and my sanctification and my redemption? That's another way of saying Jesus has now become everything about me. Everything. Paul says, I don't have any more righteousness. I don't have any more Just like I got no more wisdom, I have no more righteousness. Because God has come and He has put His righteousness within me. And now He is my righteousness. Without Jesus, you will labor, but you will never complete. You will try, but you will consistently fail. One day, without Jesus, you will stand before God, a sinner condemned. But in Christ Jesus, you are righteous. The Apostle Paul, he knew the way of the Pharisee. He knew the way of human effort. And he knew that it was a dead end. And Paul said in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, I count all things, everything, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I lay every human effort, every human work, everything that I have done in my flesh, I lay it aside. For what? For the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Paul says it wasn't for me. And my righteousness that I suffered. It was for Christ for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I do count them. Everything I lost that I had to put aside. When his righteousness came in. And the old righteousness went out. He said everything. Even the best thing about me without Jesus. I count it but dung. That I may win Christ. That I may be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. If you are glad for the blood and you are glad for the righteousness of Jesus, say amen. Except your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and the scribes, you will have no part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, how can it be? We know how it became. Because this was the reason he came. Was to give his righteousness to those who heard the great sermon on the mount. And to give his righteousness to me. And to give his righteousness to you. So my friend, when it comes to Jesus, you're either all in or all out. There's only one way to be all in with Jesus. And that is for His righteousness to be applied to your life. A righteousness that exceeds everything else. When you have that righteousness, you don't have to be afraid of the passage today. You don't have to be afraid because you know that it's not your righteousness you're standing in. It is the righteousness of Jesus. But hear me. Hear me. Listen very carefully. This is not preacher speak. This isn't because this is what you're supposed to do. This isn't because of any human thing. This is from my heart to your ears. Listen to me. It's from my heart to your ears, but it's from God's word first. If you're in Jesus, you have nothing to fear in this text. 
But if you are in your righteousness, the blood of Christ has not been applied to you, and you do not have God's Holy Spirit directing you in how to be obedient unto His Word, if you are depending on your righteousness, Jesus Himself has said, you will have no part of the kingdom of my Father. No part. None. Pat Riley said, great players with commitment, you're either all in or you're out. There really is no in-between at all. You're either completely committed or you're not. When I was in 10th grade, I made the varsity basketball team at Cookville. That was sort of the pinnacle of everything we'd worked for. Every, every drill my dad had done outside with me, every other team I'd played on, it was all about trying to make the high school team one day and to be on the varsity. And in 10th grade, 10th grade, I was the last player that made the varsity out of 12 that year. I was the last one. In fact, I didn't get put on the varsity that year until right before the season started. There were 11 guys, and right before the season started, they came to me and said, you're going to play varsity basketball. We're moving you up to the varsity. And it was a big high school. That was a big deal, and I was really excited. You know where I spent most of my time in 10th grade on that basketball team? You know where I spent most of it? On the Thank you. I didn't need you to help me out there, but I'll take it, Tucker. I mean, he knew. On the bench. Doug said, I know where you were, preacher. On the bench. And I was. I was on the bench. But you know, part of being a team is it didn't matter that I was on the bench. Every win we won that year, I was a part of because I was on the team. And I was a part of it. And it didn't matter that my role was small. And it didn't matter that I couldn't do the things that other people did. None of that mattered. At the end of the year, I was a part of every victory and every loss and every high and every low because I was on the team. You know what the whole purpose of your life is? What's God's will for me? What's God's purpose for me? What's his calling for me? You know what the whole meaning of your life is? That you be a part of the kingdom of God. If you're not a part of the kingdom of God, nothing else about your life at the end of the days will really matter. Are you a part of his kingdom or not? And there's one way to be a part of that, and it's not your gifts and not your talents. not how to be a part of the kingdom of God. You get on that team. By trusting and believing in what Jesus did for you. Amen. We're about to sing. Can I be real? I'm just completely transparent. Sometimes pastors need to be completely transparent. You know, I was really discouraged about the time the service started today. Because I started thinking about sick people. Start thinking about Randall and them be at their wedding and where they're at and Marty on vacation and all this stuff. And I was a little, I was a little discouraged before the service got started today. But you know, two things happened during the singing this morning that got me undiscouraged. Two things. One of them is the special that Jessica sang that reminded me that it doesn't matter who's here or not. It's about the blood of Jesus and what He did. And the second thing that has undiscouraged me today. It's because I know there's some people that Jesus loves very, very much that are in this room.
that you're not on his team? Why are you not discouraged, preacher? Shouldn't you be discouraged or not? He says, listen to me, I'm not discouraged because I know today that Jesus brought you here to give you one more opportunity to be saved. And I'm encouraged today because you don't have to do it in your own effort and your own strength. I'm encouraged today because Jesus says, my righteousness is right here. I'm ready to give it to you. But I can't make that commitment for you. All I am is the proclaimer, a vessel for God's word. This morning, if you've never publicly accepted Jesus, would you come and yield and allow his alien righteousness to come into your heart and change who you are completely? We've lost some wonderful people this last year. Brother Ronnie Lee's in a battle with his mother right now. My friends, you don't know when that moment will be when you will stand before God. One more chance today. The righteousness of Jesus is all you'll ever need. Would you stand with me this morning? Believers, I want you to be in a spirit of prayer. Maybe you've never really prayed during this time. Would you pray right now for those that are outside the kingdom? That they will have heard this message in the day that they will come. They will confess their sin and they will embrace King Jesus. He's ready to give them what they need. He's already accomplished it, that they will come and accept it today. Lord God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his righteousness that exceeds everything else. Lord, help this text, this word of God that you've given yourself, God, from your very being to us. Lord, help this word that you have given to us both convict us because our righteousness will never exceed the Pharisees and scribes, never. But Lord, your righteousness has. May we both be challenged and encouraged. And if there's one who doesn't know today, Lord, I pray as we sing, Lord, that they would walk right here. Lord, I'm going to wait for them right here. We're ready to pray with them. Lord, to be with them as they give their heart to you. But Lord, I pray that if those that don't know you, Lord, I pray today that they would hear the word of God and that they would come. Lord, they would believe today that they would trust you, that they would enter into your kingdom. Lord, I ask this right now that your spirit would move. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother